Well, because we were recognizing uh, graduating seniors in the service this morning, Brian asked me to uh, deliver a message that was fit for the occasion um, and perhaps even directed towards students. And so I have done that. Um, I'm planning on doing that. Um, but as if you are not a student this morning, I don't want you to tune out. I, uh, I definitely want you to stay tuned in because I think what we're talking about today is applicable to everyone, no matter where you are at. Today's topic is all about living purposefully, making plans for your future. And no matter matter who you are or what stage of life you are in, you have a future. And ideally, you are already making plans for that future. You have an idea of where you're going, what you want your life to look like. Making plans for your future is something that people do when they are young. They, you know, teenagers do this, people who are in college do this. You plan for your future. If you're a student, you're hoping that your life will count, that when, when you get to the end of your days, you will say, yes, I lived a life that was worth something. But here are some facts for you students that you need to deal with. It's a dynamic called extended adolescence. And I think we all know what I'm talking about, even if you haven't heard the term Uh, before. One news article describes extended adolescence like this. Sociologists traditionally defined the transition to adulthood um, by with five milestones. Completing school, leaving home, becoming financially independent, marrying, and having a child. In 1960, 77% of women and 65% of men had, by the time they reached 30, passed all five milestones. So that's 77 and 65%. Among 30-year-olds in the year 2000, this is 15 years ago, but this is the census data, um, according to data from the United States Census Bureau, fewer than half of the women and one-third of the men had done the same thing. And so that's essentially, in that time period, that is essentially a 25% drop um, on a statistic that would normally stay level. It's a trend that's being talked about all over the nation, as people are noticing that people in their 20s seem to be getting a slower jump on life than they used to. And not all these milestones, you know, you really need to accomplish by the time you're 30. You know, they're just milestones. You know, not everybody needs to get married and have kids by the time they're 30. Uh, But even without the statistics, as a culture, we can all recognize, we've been recognizing that something is going on with people in their 20-somethings. You know, you have have noticed this, right? Have you you noticed this, 20-somethings? There's something going on there. More and more, we're seeing people in their 20s who seem to be stuck in a rut. They don't seem to be going anywhere with their lives. They seem to be lacking direction. Um, Some of them are very financially dependent on other people in really a very bad way. They could be supporting themselves, but they're living with their parents, uh, whittling away their lives on video games and Netflix. Or they, you know, some of them are not necessarily doing that, but they just seem stuck. They, they, they haven't chosen a career. They're, they're, having, they're having a tough time moving forward in their careers. Whatever the case, we as a nation are able to recognize that something's going on here with this 20-something group, something that is not good. So if you are a teenager or a graduate 
or a 20-something, you need to realize that you are facing a Goliath social trend. Unless you live a life of purpose, you too will find yourself stuck in your 20s without direction in life, without a contribution to society that you can be proud of. So how can you live a life of purpose, real purpose? Maybe you're not in your teens or 20s, but you have a future that has different possibilities. You know there are different things you could be doing with the next few years of your life, and you want to live it well. You want to live it purposefully. You want to get to the end of those years and say, I made good choices. I'm happy with what those years brought me. How can you plan well now and live purposefully for the next 10 years of your life? Today we're going to be answering that question, and in order to get the wisdom we need to answer that question, we are going to be looking in the book of Proverbs, which is the book of the Bible that talks the most about wisdom. Our first principle for living a life of purpose, our first principle for living a life of purpose is to draft some goals that are pleasing to God. Draft some goals that are pleasing to God. You probably have some sense of where you would like to be in five or ten years, um, but make sure those goals, those dreams, are pleasing to God. Not all goals are pleasing to God. If your goals aren't pleasing to God, then your plans for your life are going to be working against God's plans for your life. Here's some examples of goals that are not pleasing to God. Goals that are rooted in selfish ambition are not pleasing to God. Philippians 2 says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition. If it's your goal in life to achieve some sort of status, and and achieving that sort of status is all about your um, self-aggrandizement, your self-worth, and and your, your value in life, if it's all about you, that is a goal that is rooted in selfish ambition. It's not pleasing to God. Goals that oppress the poor are not pleasing to God. Proverbs 14, 31 says this, Those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. Goals that are focused on our pleasures are not pleasing to him. James chapter 4 tells us that uh, when we pray, sometimes our motives aren't right when when we're asking things of God. He says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The Bible teaches us that all sorts of things um, are not pleasing to God, and it teaches us the things that are pleasing to God. And if our goals are going to be worth anything, they need to be in alignment with what is pleasing to God. Proverbs tells us this, Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. You know, the Bible sometimes has verses where you like, phrases where you're like, I don't really know what that means. Um, Like, what does it mean to commit your actions to God? You know, what does that look like, actually? And I think it's one of those phrases that can be a little bit confusing. But here's something you can take away. You know for sure that it definitely at least means that when you make some plans, you're making sure that those plans are in alignment or pleasing to God. You know that at least from that verse. Jesus says this about making plans and your goals. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. 
Goals are important because they give direction to our lives. Setting goals is a biblical thing to do. Nehemiah had the goal of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. It was a vulnerable city. And he had this goal of rebuilding those walls to protect the inhabitants. And it was a goal that was in alignment with what God wanted to do for the Israelites. And so they had incredible success at rebuilding the wall, even though they were facing just incredible odds to the contrary. Josiah was a young king. And when he, he, he was ordering some of his men to do some repairs on the, on the temple, and they, they were doing some repairs on the temple, and they found this b- bunch of rubble in the corner somewhere, and they moved the rubble away, and they were cleaning it out. And they said, hey, look, we found a book. And they, it was actually a scroll. That's what they had back then, scrolls. So they, they brought it to the king. They said, hey, king, we were cleaning out the temple. Look what we found. And the king said, well, that's interesting. What is this? What, no, nobody knows what it is. And so they opened it up, and the king says, well, have somebody, have somebody read it to me. So they get somebody to read it, this, this, uh, this scroll to him. And it turns out that it was probably like the, five, the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, might have been some more books in there as well. But it was the scriptures that they had lost track of. And as his scribe reads this book to him, Josiah's heart caught on fire. And he realized that God had set up all these rules for the nation of Israel, all these guidelines, and the people of Israel were not following them. And Josiah set out, he said, he made a goal that it was, he was going to do everything in his power as king to make sure the entire nation of Israel was following the commands that were found in this scroll. And so he did it. He went throughout the entire country tearing down locations of idol worship. He outlawed temple prostitution, which was very common. There were these spots where people would worship the god Molech and burn their children alive. And he said, that's, that's, that is totally uh, going to be outlawed and prohibited. And not only that, but he said, we're going to desecrate these sites so that no one ever wants to do, go there, even go there again. And so he did that. He got all the Jews to celebrate Passover, you know, that, that classic tradition that we have um, that, that dates back millennia. His reform was so thorough that Bible historians and scholars looked to, the, to Josiah's reform as this huge event on, Israel's, uh, on the landscape of Israel's history. He gets special recognition for bringing the nation back to God. Solomon had the goal of rebuilding the temple of God. And we know from uh, lots of different sources in the ancient Near East that his, and we, we, we think of it today, uh, Solomon's temple is one of the, uh, the seven ancient wonders of, seven wonders of the ancient world. It was so beautiful. We've never seen it, but it was so beautiful, and people described it from all different places, saying this was the most beautiful thing they had ever seen. Solomon had that as a goal, and he did it. Paul had places where he wanted to preach the gospel. He had a goal of getting all the way to Spain with the gospel. He was over in Israel, remember, and then he you know, worked up into Turkey. He wanted to get all the way to Spain. We have no reason to believe that Paul ever made it there, but even to the end of his life, in his last days, he had a goal for where he wanted to take the gospel next. Lots of people in the scriptures had goals, and not all of their goals 
had been specifically commanded by God. Some of them were just things that were good to do, and they said, this is a good thing, this is going to be pleasing to God, so it's going to be my goal. One of the problems uh, people experience with goals is they, they get stuck trying to figure out what is the right goal. They aren't sure what to do with their life, and so when it comes to their career, they're stuck trying to pick from all these different possibilities, and they get stuck. And it's not good to get stuck and be without direction in life. If you've gathered information, if you've prayed over possibilities, if you've sought guidance from other people, if you've done your due diligence on those items, then it's best to rather pursue an option than it is to sit tight for two years and do nothing. It is better to choose something and pursue it than to waste two years of your life. I think part of what makes these choices so difficult is that we feel like everything rides on our careers. You ever feel that way? Careers are so important. And this is a lie from the, the evil one. Um, your career is not everything in life. The major ways that God will use you for good in life will depend less on your career choices and more on how faithfully you obey him in the scenarios of life that you find yourself in. When you are faced with a career decision, you figure out what you're good at, you figure out what you, what you think what you enjoy, what you feel called by God to do, and later on if you change your mind, that's okay. You can switch. You may be farther behind in your career plan than if you had chosen that, that, that one in the beginning, but it's okay to switch midway. Your life is more than your career. So listen, students, listen to your parents when they tell you what you're good at and what they, what they think you will enjoy. But don't think for an instant that everything rides on your career decisions. Life is so much more than these career decisions. God can take one career path and use it in your next, or you can take a career path and use it in some way that you didn't even expect, ways that you don't even realize. So make a decision, make a goal, and get moving with the real stuff of life. If the path needs some redirection later on, that can still happen. And, and here's the thing, students, you, don't, you might not realize this, but you talk, to, you talk to a handful of adults. Most adults go through a career transition at some point in their life. They switch careers. They say, oh, I think I'm going to do this instead. And you ask them, it's not that bad. Proverbs 3 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. The next principle for living a life of purpose is that you need to get a mentor who will give you some godly wisdom. You need to get a mentor who will give you some godly wisdom. Mentors are biblical. Getting advice and guidance from other people is biblical. There's just so many examples of this. Here are some Proverbs uh, from the Bible. 1320, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Joshua was mentored by Moses. Moses got some great advice and some uh, counsel, from, some mentoring from Jethro. Elisha was mentored by Elijah. Mark was mentored by Peter. 
Timothy was mentored by Paul. Jesus was mentored by John the Baptist. Mentors all throughout the Bible. You just see it. It's all there. Did you know that? Yes, even Jesus had a mentor. John the Baptist was his mentor. That's why he's mentioned in all four Gospels, because the Gospel writers knew that everybody else knew that Jesus started out as a disciple of John the Baptist, and they didn't want him, people to be thinking, well, Jesus is just repeating the teaching that he got from John the Baptist. He used to be a disciple of him. They wanted to say, no, Jesus has unique authority, and John the Baptist even said he did. John the Baptist recognized Jesus as someone special. He said, I'm not even worthy to serve Jesus. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoelaces. All four Gospels have it because it was an undeniable fact. Lots of major biblical figures and people of history have been influenced by great mentors, and you could use a mentor too. Why? Because you need some godly wisdom on what are your next steps in life. The key element to a mentoring relationship is that you want to make sure they're giving you godly wisdom. Otherwise, the whole setup is a sham. You want someone who is a Christian who has been for a few years, and you want to watch to see if what they talk about, what they teach you, and what the way they live is in line with what the Bible teaches. You want to find a mentor who, most importantly, will give you godly wisdom. It's a good time to mention that uh, for you students, parents can serve as mentors, and honestly, sometimes they can be the best mentors. Here's why. If you are younger, um, in some areas of your life, in some parts of your personality, your parents actually know you better than you know yourself. Um, as a baby, you see, you don't have self-awareness. You don't, you, you don't really get a sense of or begin thinking about the, these ideas of like, I'm a funny person. I like to make people laugh. Or, or I like to build things. You don't think about those things until you're like five or six But your parents, on the other hand, have been learning and watching your personality develop from day one. They know these things about you. You Here's an example. Katie and I have been watching Reuben, um, and Reuben likes to talk. Like, he may not talk a lot here at church. Some people say that he talks to them a lot. But but when he's at home, it is just running commentary. Daddy, what you doing? I'm going outside. You going outside? Oh, okay. Daddy, what you doing? I'm getting some milk from the fridge. You getting some milk from the fridge, Daddy? And he's just talking and, and, uh, and just on and on. You going to drink the milk? I'm going to drink the milk. And uh, it's just this running commentary, commentary, Reuben just talking, talking, talking. One day, Reuben's going to have a job. And if in his job, he needs to be uh, silent most of the day, it's probably not going to be a good fit for him. <laughs> Reuben doesn't even know this about himself. He's two years old, but I know it. I can see it clear as day. Here's an example of how your parent can be a good source of wisdom. And let me preface this. Um, it's a little commentary on my own life um, by saying that when I was in high school, I was super gung-ho, just involved in a ton of things, super busy, always trying to achieve and accomplish things. And so that's a little preface. I think it was my senior year of high school or somewhere around then when uh, my mother came into my room and she handed me a book And she said, Benjamin, I'd like you to read this. And I'm like, And she said, I think you need to hear what this guy says about leisure. I was reading through it because a friend from work recommended it, and I just couldn't stop thinking about how this is something you really need to read. 
And she went on and on about how I was always focused on accomplishing things and how I only wanted to do things that were in a direct relationship to ministry or evangelism, and she thought I needed some more balance in my life. And she said I didn't have room in my life for leisure and that this guy makes a case for leisure from a Christian perspective. And I told her I didn't want to read it. Um, And she said, you should read it. And if you don't read it, at least read the parts that I've underlined um, because I think they apply to you. (laughs) So to appease my mom, I perused through the underlined portions. And I may have taken in a few thoughts, but I was mostly dismissive. Well, I think it was sometime when I was in college, and well, it was in college, and I was meeting with this mentor semi-regularly in college. He was a professor. His name was Steve. He was this Korean guy. He kind of spoke funny. He was a very unique individual, uh, but he was a mentor for me. I met with him regularly just for advice, and he was... He brought up the subject of leisure. He was actually just asking, wanting to get to know me, and he asked me you know, what I like to do for fun. And I, I told him um, that I don't really do things for fun. I just do things that make a difference in people's lives and try to accomplish as much as I can with the time I have. And he said, well, you know, he just kept asking me questions, trying to figure out what I did for fun. And after a while, when he realized that I was serious about this thing about not doing things for fun, he, uh, he said, oh, Ben, this is not good. You need to do some things for fun. Go play Frisbee with your friends. It's not good to work all the time. So instead of actually doing some leisure, I pulled out that book that my mom gave me, and I read it. (laughs) And I actually read through it twice. Um, The material was captivating and compelling from a biblical perspective, which is what I needed in order to be convinced. And you know what? I needed to read that book and take in that message that the book had. My mom was right. Today, I live a more full life because my mom got me that book and told me I needed to read it because she knew me better than I knew myself. So for you, students, whether you are angry for being grounded or you're angry about your parents being too controlling or you're fed up with your parents' zippy one-liners, you need to be mature enough to get some wisdom, to tap into the wisdom that you can get from your parents on who you are. In some areas of your life, they will know know you better than you know yourself. If you don't, you will miss out on some really important lessons. And you might miss out on them permanently, or you just might learn them the hard way later on down the road. Proverbs 1.8 says, My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. So how do you get a mentor? First, you need to go to them. Don't expect them to come to you. No one wants to be dispensing advice to someone who has no interest in listening to what they have to say. So ask them if you can get together and get some mentoring or some advice. Second, set a time limit. Nobody wants to commit to mentoring you for the rest of your life. You, you set a time limit. Ask them if they will meet with you for a period of like six months. Or just set, set a time limit. Set, set a frequency of how often you will meet. You know, and, and I would say this does not need to be every, an every week sort of deal um, to be, unless you want some sort of really intensive mentoring relationship. If you meet once a month or even every few months, you still will be getting something, some real mentoring. You will be getting something impactful out of the arrangement. 
Third, bring some questions. Bring something you want advice on. Bring your struggles to your meetings with your mentor. It will make the meeting more purposeful. If you want to be living a life of purpose with goals and plans that are sensible, you're just going to do a lot better when you have a mentor, uh, some wonderful people in your life who are giving you advice on uh, different areas, helping you see your next steps. Our third principle this morning is that if you want to be living a life of purpose is you need to hold to your plans loosely and hold tightly to God. You need to hold to your plans loosely and you need to hold tightly to God. Why is this important? Because life doesn't turn out the way you expected, does it? Unexpected things will happen in your life and you are going to have to tweak your plan to deal with it. Sometimes you go to college on a sports scholarship and you get injured in a way that, you, that means that you will never play that sport again. Sometimes your plans for your relationship for, with someone are destroyed when they cheat on you and leave you for another person. Sometimes you counted on getting a particular job or internship and then you don't get it at the last minute and you got nothing. Sometimes you have the job you hoped for and you get laid off unexpectedly. These are bumps in the road. Sometimes you've got to redirect. You've got to be willing to change your plans. Now, not every, not every bump in the road is an instruction from God to redirect your life. But sometimes you will face scenarios where you must redirect. It is good to have plans and goals, but you have to be willing to let God change those plans and goals. If the plan changes, you know, that doesn't mean all of the work that you put in, all that investment you put into pursuing something, going a certain route, that doesn't mean all that work is, is a waste. God can still use that. that he can use that in, in a different career path that you use. He, can, he, he probably used it just to form you, form things in you. He, he can use that. It isn't wasted. Hold your plans loosely and being, be okay with being directed by God. Proverbs 16.9 says this, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Mull was telling me this morning, man makes plans, God laughs. He, I, I could tell he was begging for me to share that in the second service, so I just had to. Okay, so um, Proverbs 19.21 says this, you, may, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. The principle that the Bible teaches us is that the real accomplishments in our journey of life have less to do with what we've accomplished and more to do with how we walked the path. Paul tells us that if we can speak with the languages of men and of angels, and if we have the gift of prophecy, if we understand deep knowledge, if we give everything we have to the poor and we die for the cause of Christ, and yet do it and we don't do it in love, it's just a waste. Jesus tells us on Judgment Day that there will be many who say, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name. We performed miracles in your name. But Jesus says, I, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. He's looking for people who will listen and follow his teaching. How you walked the path of life is a lot more important than where you find yourself at the end. 
When you hold to God tightly, you can be sure that you won't get too far off track. God doesn't let you get too far off track. You won't find yourself 10 years down the road regretting, grieving the loss of of time, your ineffectiveness, the fact that those were wasted years, years filled with mistakes. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek your way, seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. In order to hold tightly to God, you need something that the book of Proverbs says is absolutely indispensable for living a life of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What we find in life is that God plans a lot more of our steps than we realize. We think that we can make something out of ourselves, then follow this American dream. That's what the American dream says we can do. But life is so much more about timing than your efforts. And God is the one who pulls the strings on timing, doesn't he? So really, we are left with the option of walking with God's plans for our lives or fighting against them in vain, trying to see our own goals and our own own plans work out exactly the way we had hoped they would. It's a losing battle. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when you acknowledge that you need God's wisdom to guide your path, then you will be walking a life that is filled with purpose. You'll have goals that are in line with, what's, with God's purposes for your life already. He already has them. They'll be aligned up. You'll be walking a path that actually leads somewhere. Instead of being stuck in unmet expectations, instead of fighting a losing battle with your maker. So today, whether you are 17, 45, or 75, you have a future. And I want you to consider, where is your life heading? What will it take to get there? Do you have goals? Do you have plans? Proverbs 21 says that good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. You need some plans, good planning, hard work. You really should have some goals. Can you name what your goals are? What are those goals that you have? Can you name them right now? If you can't name them, those things are called thoughts. Um, those are not goals. Um, so goals are the sort of thing you write down on uh, paper, and uh, you pull it out five years later, and you can tell if you've been meeting your goals. That's what a goal is like. I actually did this recently. I was looking through my filing cabinet for something else, and I looked through this, this stack of papers, and, and there it says this, it was peeking out, it said, dreams for our life in five years. And I was like, whoa. We've already hit five years since, I, since we wrote that. And I pulled it out and took a look at it. It's like, ooh, what's, how's this going to be like, you know? And, uh, and Katie and I had assembled these goals um, together. And it was really cool. As I looked over it and I brought it, showed Katie, and uh, she said, wow, a lot of our goals had been met. And we hadn't been, it's not like we'd been like this, on this rigorous plan like to achieve our goals. It was kind of like, these are our goals and we're going to hopefully do things that line up with that. Some of the things were things that we had accomplished. 
Some of the things were things that were still on our goal sheet. And others were things we just didn't care about anymore. We said, oh, I don't care about that anymore. We'll take that out of there. But these goals, careful goals, goals where we considered what would be pleasing to God took us somewhere in life. And it was very interesting. When you develop goals this way, God will take you on a journey in life that is purposeful. It won't look exactly like you hoped for or how you thought it would. But it will be a part of God's larger plan for your life. You don't have to be stuck in your 20s or your 40s or your 70s, pushed back and forth by other people's expectations of what your life should be. You don't need to be stuck there, driven by your own temporary desires. You can live a life that really counts for eternity. But whatever you do, whatever goals you make, whatever mentors you find, whatever happens in life, remember this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Please stand.